declare that we cannot just fight that spirit in our own understanding or with mental reasoning. It's, it's a war that we must war in the spirit. So Lord, today, would you uh, increase our faith? Would you give us the weaponry that we need to use against the spirit? And would you give us the boldness and the courage to stand strong in faith? Lord, we collectively want to apologize to you when we have yielded more to fear than we have given ourselves to faith. And today we lift up that shield of faith against every attack of fear in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we quiet our hearts before you and we ask, Holy Spirit, would you convict us? Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? And would you bring us into all freedom? And we thank you for it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Would you speak through your son, Reuben, to us today that we might receive from the heart of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Janet. Good opening prayer. Appreciate that. <clears throat> All right. I um, said in the email, it'd be really good if you had a pen and a pad of paper and a Bible right at hand. Uh, I'd also like to uh, say uh, if you have a calculator nearby, because uh, we're going to do some math today. It's been a long time since we've been in a classroom setting. Maybe I could have Joan lead us in that mathematician part since she's been such an excellent teacher. But uh, <clears throat> if you could have a paper, pen, Bible, uh, there's an app on, uh, if you have a smartphone, especially if you have an iPhone, there's an application, I'm sure it's on Android as well, <clears throat> excuse me, that has a, a calculator. <clears throat> All right. Uh, you know, the greatest thing that I've seen in these past few months has not been the power of this virus, but the power of fear and worry. So I want us all to turn. Let's start with Matthew chapter 6. And I want to start out by just looking at one verse, verse 34. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what does Jesus command us here? He's making a very specific command, not a suggestion, but a command. He's saying, do not worry. Do not worry. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Four chapters later, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going to speak to us again concerning this whole aspect of fear and worry. <clears throat> okay, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 28. And do not fear those. Or we could even put in there, do not fear that which can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. 
but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Now, a copper coin was among the, it was the least valuable coin of currency in Jesus's day. And in fact, in Luke chapter 12, in regards to a similar issue, Jesus said, are not five sparrows worth two coins? So for one coin, you could get two, but such a deal, if you had two coins, you got five. <clears throat> but he's saying something to really drive a point home. He said, not one of these sparrows falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. What is, Jesus us, what is Jesus commanding us here? He's saying now, do not fear. We see in Matthew 6, do not worry. Now in Matthew 10, he's saying, do not fear. And what's so amazing about our king, to demonstrate God's knowledge and love, Jesus says that, he knows the exact number of every hair on every head on this Zoom gathering right now. Wow. He even knows how many hairs were left in the brush or the comb that went through our hair this morning. And he even knows the size of the hairs, whether they're little ones or long ones. He knows everything. So Jesus didn't want us to miss that he has everything under control. Do not fear. Do not fear. And Jesus is not just asking us, he's commanding us to not worry or to be afraid. And friends, we all need a lot of help in obeying this commandment. Why? Because worry and fear are knocking on the doors of human hearts continually and especially in this unprecedented season. Jesus was tempted to fear just like we are. But he did something very significant every time he was in that situation. When Jesus needed help, he immediately went to the helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine helper that we desperately need today. So that's what I want to pray into this message this morning. So let's pray again. Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus. He was the answer to all life's problems. He was the answer to the greatest problem that mankind has had since the Garden of Eden. Rebellion and disobedience against the word of God and the will of God. Jesus, thank you that you were the perfect man. You never sinned once. You were never rebellious, never sinful. And Lord, to show us how much you loved us, you died. And you prophesied three days later, you'd be risen from the dead. And you're the only human being that has ever said that and done it. And Lord, we just declare your lordship and we're so grateful that when you ascended into heaven you sent 
your Holy Spirit to be with all of us intimately. And we need the divine helper. The Holy Spirit is called the helper in the scriptures. And we all need help in these battles and in this warfare. So Lord, come and help us today. Help me to right, rightfully divide the word of truth, to be able to share things that can encourage, strengthen, and fortify us for the battles at hand so that we can be winners of the war, victorious, even more than conquerors, because you're the one who loved us and made us like this. So we love you, Lord, and we ask that the anointing that rests upon your word could come now and rest upon us to the glory and to the majesty of the name of Jesus. Amen. Fear. Fear. It's one of the main weapons of the enemy's arsenal. And the enemy uses it to torment us. Fear is a torment. And to dictate feelings and even behavior to us. And if our enemy can make us fear anything other than God, he is victorious. If we fear the Lord, we will have much less fears of other things. <laughs> Excuse me. And Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, he said that in the time of tribulation, preceding his triumphant return, Jesus made this very clear about the issue of fear. He said men and women's hearts would fail because of fear. Now already, heart disease is a major problem within the United States. But Jesus is saying, in other words, heart attacks from fear will be abundant. And our Father does not want us to be tormented by fears. We need to do battle against it. We need to ask the Spirit of God to remove fear from our hearts. And this is not a mere one-time request. We are in a war. There are many battles that happen within a war. And this war is against an evil principality called fear, which is much bigger than, than the virus. The devil wants to handicap us with fear because he knows that the truth will set and make us free. And one of the ways that the devil instills fear is by telling us lies about what we are facing. Now, there is an acrostic of fear that's been used so many times over the years, but it's <clears throat> worthy of repeating again today. So, on your piece of paper, <coughs> if you write down, an acrostic in a vertical pattern, F, under that E, under that A, and under that R. So you have the word fear spelt in a vertical manner. F, false. Under, next to E, evidence. Under A, appearing. And under the R, real. The enemy likes to present us with false evidence appearing real. And you know what the enemy does? He holds up a magnifying glass 
a magnifying glass to make things appear much larger than they really are. That's what he does. <clears throat> now, during this present crisis, we have seen endless numbers and data. All of us have. And for many weeks now, we've been seeing the numbers of people testing positive and the numbers of those that have died. And as we've watched the numbers increase, hear me now, <clears throat> often fear has also increased. As the numbers have gone up, so has the fear. And from the beginning, in this present crisis, we've heard that we need the factual numbers and the data. Have you seen that? Not yes, if you have. <clears throat> this has been what they've been showing. Now, do you all have that piece of pen? And I mean a piece of paper and your pen handy. I want you to write down these factual figures because now we have numbers and data. We are nine, 10 weeks into this. And finally, we have numbers and data for McLennan County. I mean, this is where we are, where we live, where we move and have our being. It's where we shop. It's where we pay our bills. Here are the factual figures of McLennan County, Texas. As of 2019, okay, McLennan County has this many people, 256,623. More than a quarter of a million people. <clears throat> now, now underline that number. Now since the virus began, including all the way through yesterday, and I'm so thankful that our, our local news gives us really good data and updates, but as of yesterday, McLennan County, now I'm just talking about McLennan County. This is where we live. There have been 106 people that have tested positive. Write that down, 106. Now let's do the math. The math is you take 106 people divided by 256,623. So on your calculator, you do 106, the division side in the uh, sign that's on that little button by 256623. And here's the number that comes out 0.0000413. Now, here's what that means. Here's the data that out of four, out of every 10,000 people in our county have tested positive for the coronavirus. Four out of 10,000 have tested positive. That's pretty staggering. That means when we had the gathering in McLean Stadium a, a few years ago, and we had 36,000 people there, that would have meant with that stadium packed with people, <laughs> we would have had 
four times three is 12. We would have had 14 people that would have tested positive for the coronavirus out of the 36,000 people that were there. So this gives you a little perspective. 256,000 people, 106 that were tested positive, it comes out to four out of every 10,000 people have been tested positive. Now let's talk a little bit about the recovery. The news bureaus do not like to say much about the recoveries from the virus, but I appreciate McLennan County reporting. They do have that quite often of how many people have recovered. Now since sometime this week, I was, they didn't have a figure that I was able to get yesterday, but as, as of early this week, we had 90 recoveries out of 106 people testing positive. Did you get that? We've had 90 recoveries out of 106 testing positive. So that means that 90 people are back to totally normal. Now let's do the math in regards to deaths. During this entire period, and God's grace has been so much on McLennan County, we have had only four deaths. Now, yes, they, everyone says one death is too many. But what, a, what an act of God, what an act of covering provision. We've only had four deaths in all of McLennan County. Now, take your calculator and type in four. Four divided by 256,623, it equals zero. Point zero, 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 zero. That's four zeros, one, five, five, nine. That means that out of every 10,000 people, because you have to count the numbers here, you have to put a one in front of um, uh, where that first uh, zero is before on the left side of the dot. If you put a one there, you would have 10,000 people, you would have 1.5 people that would die. That is a fraction of the number of people in the county. Most people have recovered from this virus. This is why the data is so powerful. And all we, the, the data that news loves to report is how many, how the infection is growing, how many people are getting infected. This data shows us that in McLennan County, only a tiny little number of people are getting infected and even a more minute number are finding the seriousness of, of, of dying. Our death total has not increased in a number of weeks. There's not been one person added. I think the last one was about three and a half to four weeks ago. It's amazing the protection that God has on McLennan County. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we have Paul giving an exhortation to his wonderful disciple Timothy. And in verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A spirit of fear is not a normal fear like touching a hot iron. 
No, this spirit causes us to shrink back rather than to move forward. And it is an evil spirit of intimidation, of timidity. It paralyzes us from activity. Now, God gives us offensive weapons against this evil fear. Listen to the offensive weapons that God gives us. He says, power, love, and a sound mind. He gives us the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a deep, committed love for God and an unconditional love for others. These are the weapons that God gives us to combat the spirit of fear. Dynamic power of the Holy Spirit, a deeply committed love for God, and an unconditional love for others. And he also gives us a sound, sober mind where we make good decisions and good judgment calls. And a sound mind enables us to hear God's voice because we know his word and we are abiding in him. Now let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Looking at two verses, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul's giving another command to the believers of Philippi. He says to them, verse 6, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we will guard our hearts from anxiety and pray about everything with a prevailing prayer, a passionate prayer, in the midst of it, thanking God for answers even before we see them. He will give us his peace. This is what is promised. There will be a peace that only God possesses. It's the peace of Christ. And that peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I love how the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 26, verse 3, the prophet says, He whose mind is stayed on you, O God, he whose mind is stayed on thee, will be kept in perfect peace because he trusts in you. This thought came to us a number of years ago. I've really kind of liked it. Worry is the dark room in which negatives develop. Worry is the dark room in which negatives develop. Actually, worry comes from a Greek word meaning to divide the mind. That's worth writing down. Worry in Greek means to divide the mind. Anxiety produces double-mindedness. And rather than take away tomorrow's trouble, worry robs us of today's strength. Proverbs 12, 
verse 25 says this, worry wears a person down. You're worn out. If we worry and worry and worry, we are worn out. Worn out. The Hebrew literal meaning for the word for worry is a heaviness of the heart. This is good. Write this down. The Hebrew literal meaning for worry. Heaviness in the heart. Also, being over-concerned. And lastly, headed in the wrong direction. And you know, the truth about worry is that we not only worry about ourselves, we also really worry about our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. We're anxious about their faith, their health, their job, their finances, their education, on and on. There are endless things that can capture our thoughts when worry comes. So the question is, how can we stop worrying? How can we stop worrying? Write this down. We pray fervently. We pray fervently. And we entrust them to the Lord. And right in the midst of entrusting them to the Lord, we start thanking him for his already present care for them. So this is giving our prayers mixed with thanksgiving. God loves that type of praying. He loves it. He's drawn to it. He's attracted to it. And we know that he hears us if we pray according to his will. And this is how we pray according to his will. We lift them up. We believe God for his best. We entrust them to the Lord. And we start thanking him for the way that he's cared for them in the past, knowing he's going to care for them now in the present and caring for them in their future days. He will answer. He will answer. Well, let's define this word fear. Fear. Fear is negative faith. It's faith in the wrong direction. And fear has its own belief system. And I want you to write this down. It attacks us in three primary areas. Our mind. Fear attacks our mind. Fear attacks our faith. And fear attacks our memory. Our mind, our faith, our memory. Let's first just look at the mind. <clears throat> it makes us think about and expect the worst possible scenario. The worst possible scenario. 
not the best, the worst. It produces anxious thoughts. It produces a crazy way of thinking about either real or imaginary fears. I used to ask and say, okay, most of you have had children or grandchildren. I remember the day when I was given a curfew of how long I could be out. And let's say, thinking back and reflecting, when your children were under your tutelage and under your authority, sometimes. And all of a sudden, they're going to go out and you say, okay, I want you back by midnight. Well, I would have loved to have had that curfew of midnight. Mine was like 10 o'clock when all my friends had 11. Some of you are smiling. I can see why. Let's say, okay, let's say it's, let's say it's midnight. Midnight comes. You're waiting. You're waiting. They don't show up. 12.15. Worry has just started to... Now you're ready to give them a piece of your mind. How come you were late? Now 12.30 comes. 12.40. 1 o'clock. No phone. No cell phone. Of course, we didn't have cell phones in those days. But there was no call. There was no contact. There was nothing. I'll tell you, an hour after the curfew, our mind is already starting to go crazy. We are thinking the worst thoughts, not the best thoughts. Here's a thought that has not entered our mind at all in that type of a situation. Well, I've not heard from them in an hour and a half. Oh, they must be in a prayer meeting and experiencing the presence of the Lord in such a dramatic way. Oh, they must be so caught away in the things of God. No wonder they didn't even think to call because they've stepped into eternity in praising the Lord. Ha, huh. that'll be the day. That's not where our thoughts go. Immediately, maybe they're in an accident. Maybe they've been kidnapped. I mean, whatever it is, our minds go nuts. So fear attacks our minds and it, it starts to paint a picture of the worst possible scenario. But faith focuses on God. It focuses on his promises. It focuses on his faithfulness and his availability. And God is fully aware of our present situations. Listen, if he knows all the hairs, every single hair on every one of our heads, and not just that, if that would be miraculous alone, he knows everyone's head. He knows every hair on every head. I mean, God is so immeasurably beyond our wildest imagination. We can trust him as we walk through our trials. The enemy attacks our mind. That's why we must confess, I have the mind of Christ. And I choose to think godly thoughts, righteous thoughts, when my mind is attacked with fear. Secondly, first it attacks our mind. Secondly, it attacks our faith. 
It robs us of our trusting God in the situation that we are in at present. It robs us. The devil is called the thief. Immediately, he looks to take our faith. He looks to deny our faith. Fear looks to totally squelch the faith that's in God's, the hearts of God's people. And then third, let me see, what was number three? Oh, our memory. <laughs> Faith and fear attacks our memory. Oh my. Sometimes I don't think it has a lot to attack. But nonetheless, our memory gets attacked. Fear makes us forget about God's faithfulness to us in the past. He's been so faithful to you in the past. He's been so faithful to me in the past, especially when we were in difficult situations. Time and time and time again, God has been faithful. But the enemy through fear has a way of totally making us forget about how faithful God has been in past situations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another scripture, 1 John 4, verse 18, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear, uh, perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. As we receive God's love and then love him back in return, we get his love. And his love inspires us to love him more. So it's a give and take situation with the love of God. He gives me his love. I give it back to him. He gives me his love and then I demonstrate it by loving others. We will find that fear and intimidation will begin to lose their grip on us as we love him more and receive his love. God's looking to make us more perfect in love. And perfection in love is that all fear is gone. It casts out fear. God's love casts it out. Now a key question to overcoming fear is finding the root of where it began. Now if you are tormented by fear, or if you have a loved one that you can sense is tormented by fear, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the root reason the root reason and i want to encourage all of you personally to get along with god get along with god and ask his spirit to search your heart and life concerning all all fear i like how second corinthians 2 10 paul tells us for the spirit searches all things Yes, even the deep things of God, 2 Corinthians 2.10. The Holy Spirit knows everything that you have gone through and has a customized path of victory just for you and just for your loved ones. And then there are tormenting fears. A tormenting fear, one that's hard to leave you, one that just can keep coming over and over again. It could be caused by a traumatic past experience, or maybe even 
uh, some people don't think that this has much bearing on, but watching horror movies will have an effect on people. I, I've been really shocked how many people today love to watch zombie movies. And they end up developing fear as a result. There are issues in regards to fear. When we watch fear, it has a place of access and inroad into our hearts, minds, and emotions. You know, personally, I had a problem with fear from the age of eight until I was 57. That's a long time, 49 years of battling with fear. It wouldn't come all the time, but on certain little things that would trigger it, all of a sudden it would just arrest my heart, paralyze my mind, and make me a virtually none effect. And it was so stealth hidden that it would only come up for a while and then it would gone. And then it come up and then gone. Well, I had a time of where I, I just wanted the Lord. I was begging God to show me what is the root reason for this fear that keeps tormenting me from time to time. And the Lord showed me the root of the problem when I called out to him. And it happened when I was eight years old. God even showed me, brought me back to the whole situation. I had gone up on, our, uh, on the roof of our house to get one of those little footballs that I had been playing with a neighborhood kid. And when I was out there, all of a sudden, someone came and started moving the ladder away from the house. And I was so fearful. I was, I was petrified. But I was so open to fear that, that I became a candidate to attack for the next 49 years. Uh, my friends, my parents didn't know things about spiritual warfare and taking back battleground that the enemy had. I wish that I would have known now that that could have been passed on to my parents and friends back when I was eight years old. I could have maybe even gone back on up the ladder with a proper person that would have known how to uh, apply spiritual warfare and heal, bring healing to the wounded soul because my soul was wounded. Could have walked me up that ladder prayed with me on the ladder, brought me down step at a time that God's hand is upon me and God's healing power to heal that open wound and that terrorizing effect. Nonetheless, I did that in the spirit the day when the Lord showed that to me and I experienced freedom, the likes in which I hadn't had for 49 years. Some fears can have generational roots. That also, here's the power of prayer. Even generational roots can be broken through prayer. And this truth has helped me personally change my life over the years. I came from a family of four. Mother, father, sister that's 20, that was 20 months younger than I. From 19, when my dad had lung cancer and ended up dying of lung cancer, cancer has been in my family. My mother had it. My sister died from it. I'm the fourth person in our bloodline. But God showed me the strategy that I'm of a new bloodline in the second Adam Jesus. I'm no longer of the bloodline of the Ross lineage. Yes, I am an inheritance of that, but I have a whole new bloodline inside of me, the blood of Christ. 
And the blood of the second Adam, the blood of Christ, is far more powerful than the blood of our nationality from the ancestors from which we've come. That blood of Christ can be applied. And I prayed that the blood of Christ would sever my natural bloodline of my Ross inheritance that all of my family members had attained cancer. And I said, Lord, by your blood, you can break that natural bloodline inheritance and, and give me the freedom that I have in Christ rather than the inheritance that I would have had, perhaps had I not prayed in this manner. So through prayer, God gives us an avenue of victory. He goes to the pathway to freedom. I remember crying out to God for several hours and just asking God to, to, to heal and to deliver me from that evil of the bloodline generational curse of cancer. And praise the Lord. I don't have a tread of cancer. And by God's grace, I'm going to stay cancer-free the rest of my days. You know, now that we are in Messiah Jesus, remember this, our bloodline doesn't just go back to the Scottish Jews that came from both Scotland and Ireland to my being a part of an American citizenship today. No, our bloodline really goes back to the second Adam, Jesus. Not merely to the first Adam who sinned in the garden. And through prayer, we can sever our natural bloodline inheritance by declaring out loud. This is with the mouth confession is made to salvation. I needed to say with my mouth, the blood of Jesus is my bloodline inheritance. Declaring our new bloodline lineage to the Messiah Jesus and his power to lay an axe to the root. Glory to God. So let me just close by saying, whatever the future holds, whether life ever returns to how it was before March, really only God really knows right now. But you and I can trust the Lord. The coronavirus was not a surprise to God. It took us all off guard. It was not a surprise to him in any way, shape, or form. He knows exactly what he is doing and what he is allowing. Our job is to trust him, to love him, and to love others. We are all still called to pray, to intercede, to supplicate, to grab hold of the horns of the altar, that unsaved loved one, that rebellious one that just will not surrender to God's will. God, I take hold of the horns of the altar for this one, and I pray faith into them in Jesus' name. I pray a breaking of every demonic stronghold that's keeping them away from God. Beloved, our prayers sometimes need to become more radical. And rather than praying from a place of brokenness, which is good at times, we also need to pray sometimes from a place of victorious life, making uh, declarations, start seeing them the way that God sees them. I had the wonderful opportunity of uh, being invited to a luncheon one time 
back in the 1970s in Chicago when Mother Teresa of Calcutta was the, was the guest speaker. And I'll never forget, she man, mentioned a little phrase in her sharing that day that has always stuck with me. She shared that one day as she was going through the streets of Calcutta and gathering up these dying people, God prompted in her heart that to every person that she saw, she was to see them with these eyes and say this, perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect in Christ Jesus. And she said, I have asked God to give me the, the faith to believe that this Hindu in his desperate state is somehow going to come to a revelation of knowing his Savior and he will so surrender his life to God or her so surrender her life to God that they will become perfect, lacking nothing in the name of Jesus. Now, don't you think that's a great way to pray? That's praying the prayer of faith, not by sight, but by faith. God has commissioned us to go out and share the gospel and to make disciples. And I think that this is a perfect time to deal with all the issues that God is surfacing, especially in our own personal lives. You know, the default scripture that has always been within the church of Jesus, whenever major disaster has come, I've read about Abraham Lincoln called the three-day time of fasting and prayer for the union with the scripture of 2 Chronicles 7.14 to be the banner. Three days of prayer and fasting by the president with one scripture in mind, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek that intimacy that only God is longing to give and has the power to entrust to those who seek him. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek that intimacy, and turn from their wicked ways. See, there's the fruit of humbling ourselves, coming to God in prayer, and desperately desiring greater intimacy than I now have. The result is he will begin to search our own hearts. And sin will come. We will be able to see how we've grieved God or perhaps how we have not mourned enough for sin. Maybe we've not repented to a full measure. Or confessional uh, intercession, uh, even in a prophetic way. Pray prophetic prayers in regards to loved ones that are not yet saved. Lord, I, I want to pray that I can see him saved, tears running down his cheeks. When we can follow the four conditions of humbling ourselves and praying and seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways, God gives us this promise. God told Solomon, I will hear your prayers from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. If we will seek the Lord in these days when he can be found, 
we'll find that our relationships with him will only be enhanced. The areas of unbelief will dissolve and our fears will leave us. And rather than worrying, we'll be faith-filled. And when the lockdown is fully over, we will definitely reflect more of Jesus of having met with him during one of the greatest crises in American history and demonstrate how much good God can get out of this by rescuing huge regions and domains within my own personal heart. I've asked if Janet and myself could pray uh, closing prayers in regards to what we've looked at today. So uh, Janet, if you'd like to start and, and I'll follow you in prayer. Let's pray. Okay. Uh, Reuven, can you let the stovalls in? They're waiting for you to welcome them back. Okay, I did. Okay, yeah, there's Rosie. Good. Okay, uh, before I pray, this is such an important word because fear leads to unbelief, and the Lord can't do much when there's unbelief. Remember in Mark 6, it says he went back to Nazareth, and uh, in verse 5, it says he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so it's not really something we can just excuse away. Well, I've got fears, you know. It, it's really major because it, it confronts the faith that the Lord needs us to have in order to answer our prayers and work on our behalf. It says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so um, we need to confront fear and unbelief as uh, demonic entities, as well as being areas of sin. So we first confess them as sin, and then we resist the evil spirits behind them. And so that's the way uh, I'm going to pray. Just want to remind you that faith is the currency of heaven, and we you dare not let anyone or anything steal your faith. <clears throat> so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the word that we've heard this morning, uh, the importance of faith and, and the importance of fear, and to make sure we are not riddled by it. And so, Lord, we, we come before you and we ask, would you cleanse us of all fear and of all unbelief. We confess it to you as sin. We ask that you would uproot it from our hearts. You'd uproot it out of our lives, out of our spirits, out of our minds, that you would cleanse us with the blood of Jesus and wash out of our system all fear and all unbelief in the name of Jesus. We thank you that your blood is more powerful than any sin and that we can we can lay an ax to the root of this. And we ask, Lord, would you heal any memories or any wounds in our spirit or soul that gave the enemy a foothold to, um, to torment us with fear and even with unbelief? Lord, we submit that to you. And I pray that in our quiet times alone with you, you would reveal to us anything that we need to pray further about. <clears throat> And so we take the armor that you've given us and we pray in the name of Jesus and with the blood of Jesus against the evil spirits of fear. We command you, spirit of fear, to leave us 
in the name of Jesus. We command you, spirit of unbelief, to leave us in the name of Jesus. And we choose not to listen to these spirits anymore. We listen to the word of God. We will listen to the voice of God. We will not listen to tormenting spirits or lying spirits that want to steal our faith, steal our hope, and our joy. And so, Lord, again, we commit ourselves to you. We ask that you would fill every vacant place in our hearts with your love, with your peace, with your Holy Spirit, and that you would overcome inside us all fear, all unbelief, with faith, that we will be a tower of strength to walk through this season and for the rest of our lives. We will be men and women of strong faith. I pray it in the name of Jesus and thank you for it. Amen. Lord, we're just so grateful that you've helped us in both the natural and in the spiritual. Uh, Lord, we've heard from the beginning the significance of having data and numbers. Lord, we had none of that in the very beginning. Everything was so new. It was all unknown territory, uncharted. But now, Lord, in all these weeks um, concerning us here in this county, now we do have numbers and we do have data. And Lord, to those that are fearful, I pray that you'd give us opportunity to even just show the simple data of how it really does reflect. Lord, my heart was put at some great ease when I saw the actual figures and began to imagine what this would look like if only four people in 10,000 had gotten infected. Lord, it's so low. But Lord, more than that, you've given us the spiritual power and the spiritual data of your written word. Your word is more powerful than all numbers and all figures than all data. Your word is everlasting. Your word is perfect from the beginning. Your word is eternal. You are your word. No wonder every word shall be kept because it is the integrity and the honesty and the character and the purpose and the name of God that is within your word. And Lord, thank you that your word encouraged us today, gave us things to uplift our hearts, told us that we don't have to worry. In fact, not only don't we have to, you said, stop it. Don't worry. Quit fearing. Lord, you made it so clear. We don't have to yield and go that way. Because greater is he who's in us. Greater are you, Lord, who dwell within us than than those that are outside you, than anything that the world can offer. Jesus, you have it all. You've got all of God's goods. Lord, we're just so thankful that we've been able to tap into that abundance because we're born again of the Spirit and of the flesh. We've been born alive, made new creations in God's kingdom. So, Lord, I pray that in these remaining days, we'd all really do those things that we're admonished to in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. Lord, how significant that in verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 7, it it makes it very clear, even in times of pestilence, cry out this prayer. So Lord, we're asking, give us the grace to humble ourselves. 
Give us the stamina and the courage and the insight and the prompting to just pray on every occasion. Pray in every season. And to give thanks to God while we're praying. That there be a combination of worshiping God, adoring God, thanking God, praying, interceding. Lord, we could just have such a holy mixture of communion with you. Because when that happens, there's a peace that comes that only you can give. A peace from the heart of Father God expressed through Jesus. Shalom I give to you, Jesus said, not as the world gives. So don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Lord, we just really wanna ask forgiveness for any of the fear that we've expressed and battled with from time to time. Uh, Lord, even uh, in my, my heart, even as I was pondering this, I remember uh, a week or two ago, and one night I started having a coughing spree and I started immediately thinking, uh-oh. Lord, it just, it, it's, it's just right there. It's knocking all the time, looking for an open door. Thank you that right after that, you prompted me to start praising you and worshiping you and opening my mouth out loud and declaring the goodness of God. Lord, with our mouth, confession is made into salvation. No wonder we sing praises. We don't just hum them. Our mouths are open and we make declaration. And I pray that we'd be a declaring people in this season. We'd be people that open our mouths and you'd fill it with words of adoration, praise, intercession, supplication, and standing in the gap on behalf of people that we know and the land that we live in. So Almighty God the Father, God the Son, God Holy Spirit, we entrust to you this whole word on fear and worry, but more than that, the God who conquers all. And this has nothing in you and is nothing compared to you. It is less than nothing compared to your greatness. So thank you, Lord. Give us the grace and the prompting throughout the rest of this week to be fearless and worryless to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen.